Hello, and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Verge Podcast Network, which is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network, which is part of Vox Media, which at this point is not going to be part of a larger conglomerate, as near as I can tell, but will probably happen soon, given the current environment. Anyway, I'm Neelai. Mm-hmm. I'm your friend. We have an all-star crew today. Paul is here. Hello. Speaking of Vox Media Podcast Network, Casey Newton, host of Converge, is joining us. Hey, everybody. Ashley Carmen, host of Why'd You Push That Button, is joining us. Hello. And, and Dieter is here, host of Processor. Hey, how's it going? Which is not a podcast, no. but a video experience. Yeah, it's, it's a Dieter, whole Dieter makes thing. the moving pictures. Yeah, I, I, I dance like a monkey in front of the camera. It's great. Hey, Casey, if we're the flagship, what is Converge? What kind of boat is it? Converge is a... What kind of boat is it? It's uh, it's like you know the uh, kit, the the car from Knight Rider. Imagine if that were a boat. That's what converges. So a Corvette. <laughs> it, talk, it it's it, a lot of technology in there. Uh, very smart and also kind of funny. Is it like the? Uh, it, oh, it's the Lotus from uh, the James Bond movie that converts into exactly. A Ashley, exactly. What, what kind of boat is? Why'd you? Honestly, that? it came to me immediately. A jet ski. Ooh. Ooh. Me and Caitlin speeding off into the sunset on a jet ski. (laughs) She would be like scream crying, and I would be driving. (laughs) I'd be driving. (laughs) It's the it's the end of the big pimpin' video with like the boat like zooming out. (laughs) Caitlin's exactly that's exactly how it would go. All right, there's a lot to talk about. There's a reason I wanted Casey and Ashley. On our show today, Casey and Ashley, not Casey and Ashy, <laughs> which is what I just said. There's a reason I wanted Casey and Ashley on our show. I would say this is this is news that's going to feed into almost everything we talk about uh, on the show this week. But Instagram announced IGTV, which is, as near as I can tell, a direct competitor to YouTube mm. that feeds off of all of the video stuff that's been happening on Instagram lately. Casey, I was watching your Twitter feed yesterday. It sounds like the event was just a pure disaster. So just walk us through what happened with the announcement and then what the product is. You know, it really was. And first, let me say everything I'm about to say, none of it matters even a little bit. But you have to understand (laughs) that tech uh, demos are incredibly well produced. They spend uh, incalculable amounts of money on them. These things are choreographed down to the, the last, you know, like where the napkins are placed. And man, Instagram went all out on this event. They rented out a concert venue uh, in in San Francisco that hasn't even re- it, it, it is apparently about to reopen. It's called the Fillmore West. Uh, there's a Fillmore East. Anyway, they had um, they had created like seven rooms where you could take these funny Instagram photos against beautiful backdrops. They had a make your own acai berry bowl. They had <laughs> uh, four different kinds of fancy toast. Right? It was like the ultimate Instagram event. And when it came time for the thing to start, it didn't. And 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> went by 45 minutes that you know doors what did were at you nine do for 45 ev- minutes well honestly i wrote a story because there had been so much reporting that uh that had happened leading up to the event that i thought you know this is a really good time to sort of pour out my my thoughts and feelings about you know what this new instagram video experience is going to be the last thing i'll say about the, the the sort of failure is they had brought in all these very famous instagram stars who had collectively tens of millions of followers and they had told us to um to anticipate a 30 minute long event and so i thought we were going to sort of get to hear from all these people who we knew were 
backstage because they were posting about it to their Instagram. Well, uh, Kevin Systrom, the CEO, comes out on stage. He starts the event, and they wind up just doing the entire thing in 10 minutes. So the entire thing was over in an incredibly short amount of time. Did they tell you why it was so late? I'm told it was technical difficulties. They were trying to have simultaneous uh, events in New York and Sao Paulo, and and something happened where, like, the I think it was just basically a Zoom conference call issue. I shouldn't say that it was Zoom because I don't I don't know what software they use. But if you've ever used any work video conferencing software, you know that it's the bane of your existence. And I think Instagram ran hard into that reality. You know, in, you know they make a live video product. Maybe their next pivot is just they're going to do work video chat. I mean, I mean, that's everyone's final pivot. Every company yeah. eventually is like, what's the biggest problem we can solve that we have every day? And it's it's video conference. It's a very hard problem. Apple only just now managed to solve it with FaceTime working more than yeah. no. Listen, I've been I've been down at Google and I've and I've said like what what is the deal with, with video like work video chat? It doesn't seem like it should be that hard. And they just they shake their heads and they're like, hey, like we wish we knew. No one can figure out why it's so hard. The smartest people in the world. It baffles them. Apple didn't just figure it out. They they literally like opened the drawer where they stored the iChat code and they were like rifling through the file folders and they're like all right i guess we're here this one like i found the envelope with it rendezvous what's that (laughs) anyway uh we should not talk about video conferencing for an hour so igtv casey what is it so igtv is is two things one is it's a new section of instagram which you'll now see as a glowing uh, orange orb at the top of your feed uh, and it's a standalone app and if you tap in video from people you follow and things that instagram thinks you'll be interested in will automatically start to play it's again it's vertical video and uh, now you as a user can upload up to 10 minutes and if you're a super fancy account with millions of followers, you can upload up to an hour. And Instagram says that eventually they hope to get rid of all time limits and you can just upload you know, however long a, a video you want to. Here's why I think this is uh, a smart move from Instagram. I think historically, social networks have been terrible places to watch video because we just don't go there for video, right? You think about how you use a social network. Your thumb never stops moving, right? You're always scrolling through the feed. You're tapping around. You're clicking. And social networks like Facebook in particular, uh, although also Twitter, have been building these experiences where they just sort of accept that they expect that you're going to stop scrolling and watch, you know, Game of Thrones or, you know, their their cheap ripoff of it. Um, Where I think Instagram was really smart was they said... The only way to get people to watch a video on their phones is you have to make a first-class destination for it that you actually seek out, and that's what IGTV is. So, so yes, you can find it inside the Instagram app, but even there, it's a home for video. You only tap on it if you're ready to sort of lean back and watch. The standalone app functions the exact same way. This is the move that Snapchat should have made with Discover but never did, and I think that ultimately, if you believe that you have really good video on your platform... You have to make a standalone destination for it, or you're ultimately not that serious about it. I think the app is very well made. It's it's very clearly a first gen app. Like notifications are still coming in on Instagram when you get comments on your stuff or whatever. Um, I posted a video, and because it's a brand new video platform, I did what you must do in a brand new video platform: is take a video somebody else made that's also a copyright infringement. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I put that up. Uh, it was Ruben, our uh, engagement editor, did a video of me uh, lip syncing Slim Shady from one of the Microsoft video I did a while ago. It's <laughs> incredible. So I posted that. Um, but what I love about the, the interface is it's autoplay, which fine, whatever. But while you're watching a video, you can just swipe up and kind of like 
browse through other recent videos and other channels. And if you get bored, you just tap on the next one and it starts right away and then you can swipe up again. And so this like, it has a sort of a video native feel to sort of browsing around that is much better than like, I don't know, even like a TV channel interface, a really good guide. You can kind of just like watch something and if you get bored with it, you've, you've already sort of scrolled through to find something else to look at. The animations are super cute too. They yeah. have like little static TV stuff. So I want your take on it because you're my my link to what the the teens love. I also uploaded a video I didn't make just because you know I had <laughs> I had to try it. Um, Wait, is everyone's reaction to a new video platform to see if content ID exists? It's just <laughs> <Yes>. like <laughs> like I, I can Will be illegal here. Us? Yeah, but I just feel like eventually this platform is going to be overwhelmed with terrible content. Like The Verge posting videos there is going to be fantastic. We mm-hmm. should shoot for ver- vertical. More I think the future of our Circuit Breaker show is on IGTV. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, like that. I could it. totally see that being awesome. But as soon as you start getting some kid in his bedroom, all these kids in their bedrooms being like, I'm going to talk to the camera for an hour. No one wants to see that. And you're going to have to go through a bunch of crap to get to actually good content. Yeah, so this is like a RIP Vine. But mm-hmm. Vine had a forcing function of six seconds, which led to an explosion of creativity. Instagram stories and stories on every other platform have whatever time limit, 15 seconds and you have to tell a story in that chunk, led to an explosion of creativity. Do you think this sort of like unlimited time zone is at, right? Like that's I mean, the- that was like everyone had issues with when Twitter expanded the tweet limit. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, well, we had these creative constraints that really bred this beautiful thing, and now we can do more, and that's bad. I, I do think giving people more is never good. I think them just 280 happen. on Twitter is an un- unmitigated good thing. I I'm fine with Twitter, one, but yeah. I just think that an hour-long video of a teenager in his room. There's going to be a lot of bad, and then eventually maybe you'll find a gem that'll be good. Well, I think the, the the question is what sort of norms are going to arise on the platform, right? Like, on YouTube, we know what you, a YouTuber video looks like. We don't really know what an IGTV video looks like. The other question is, what is the algorithm going to do? Because if, if there's a bunch of, you know, teenagers for an hour in their bedroom, maybe just their friends will watch it and that'll be fine. But what will what kind of content is Instagram going to have its algorithm aggressively push when you open the app up? Okay, so you have answers to these questions? In terms of what is the algorithm going to push at you? I mean, when you were at the event, when you're talking to Instagram, you're writing your story, do they tell you what they want the experience to be like? Or are they just kind of like, check it out? (laughs) Well, you know, it's an open platform. People can make whatever they want for it, and the algorithm will sort of figure it out, right? You know, part of the stuff that I think got cut out of the presentation is what are the famous people going to do with it, which at least should offer us some early indications. The one thing that they did tell us was there's this Instagram star uh, who I was not familiar with named Lele Pons. Uh, I don't Mm -hmm. actually, I don't know if maybe you're familiar with her. She has 25 million followers. Uh, She's a model comedian, and she's going to do a cooking show where she brings on some other influencer, and they try to cook something, and then they decide amongst themselves like who did the best thing and it's like it's incredibly low rent like cable access TV stuff but you're doing it for an enormous audience and some of it's going to be really popular so you know frankly it's gonna, it's not going to be that different than what you're seeing on Facebook watch right like mm-hmm. the, it's the same idea just in very different surfaces it really seems to me I feel like there's going to be a lot of content that's what people currently do as a Facebook live stream but that, that where they just talk to their phone and editorialize about something, but it doesn't actually need to be live, and that might work better on Instagram. Well, I, so because, I actually YouTube is a lot of YouTube is somebody made a video and then they edited it 
or it, it went through a, a a program and then got uploaded as an MP4 file, and that is clearly an old dumb way to do things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If, I, so I actually follow Lele Pons on, on Instagram because. Once you like follow one influencer, it becomes very clear that like there's a whole universe that you should like get sucked into. So I followed King Batch and somehow I ended up following like 10 more and hmm. there she is. She actually has like a number one Billboard single because she is so popular that they put her in a song and everybody downloaded it. It's like crazy, right? So like it's there the ascendancy of the major influencers to me is one of the most fascinating things that these platforms can enable. And our friend Marquez Brownlee made a great video. Uh, yesterday, which everyone should go watch, about his thoughts on IGTV. And his main point was, YouTube is great, but I need to be everywhere. There's not a platform like YouTube that gives me sort of the audience scale, potentially the revenue scale. Everything else is sort of a feeder into YouTube, but I need a, another place. And it seems like this is the other place that feels native to YouTubers because they're already doing tons of stories. And so I think the question is, this is why Instagram had tons of influencers there. They're already capturing so much of their creative attention. If they can capture even more, that means they can capture more audience attention and presumably sell more ads. So I think the question, Dieter, like what's going to be here? I think it's going to look a lot like Instagram stories crossed with YouTube. And you're going to see that same class of people sort of immediately take over in a way that Snapchat Discover, they went to big legacy media brands and, you know, like whatever People Magazine is doing on Discover just looks embarrassing. It, it doesn't feel <laughs> Yeah, how, how insane is it that Snapchat missed that influencer boat? It was sitting right there. Vine was collapsing. It was sitting right well, there for them. They were always suspicious of the influencers because they never saw themselves as a place for people to be influenced, right? It was always about bringing you closer to your real friends and not about how many friends you have. It's about how do we sort of let you talk to the people who matter the most in your life. And like King back like might not have a great role to play there. That's why I thought Discover was always such a weird fit for their app though, right? Is because they have been so suspicious of the influencer crowd. So, I don't know. Casey, did they say they were going to pay the influencers to make content? Uh, no, and it's sort of strange. The only way that I can explain that is that this thing is still kind of an experiment and so they're just going to kind of roll it out and and I think they don't want to promise creators money until they know that it is going to be a hit. I think it'll be enough of a hit that they can pay the audience money. But my guess is you'll hear about that within the next six months. But you know, in the meantime, yeah. it is a bit icky that Instagram is like, hey, like, come make stuff for our platform. Mm-hmm. And like, we'll probably pay you eventually, right, from one of the richest companies in the world. One of my favorite stories from this disaster of an event is uh, Ninja. Twitch live streamer. Uh, he, uh, Janko Rogers from uh, Variety, great reporter, interviewed him and he uh, tweeted Video game live streamer Ninja was busy resetting his Instagram password as I interviewed him about IGTV so that he could get access to start using IGTV. Yeah, I mean, look, there are Twitch stars, there are YouTube stars, there are Instagram stars. If you are any one of those companies, you're trying to figure out how to capture the other, right, mm-hmm. to bring them but, over to your platform. Yeah. So like, I don't What's th- so fascinating is they they got they got the attention of people like Ninja and Marquez Brownlee to like jump over to Instagram in like a pretty big way. Like mm-hmm. they did a, a really good job, like getting a bunch of big names to pay attention and 
like try out the platform right away. Right, because I we talk about it all the time. YouTubers are frustrated, right? They're and like so they're, they are they're happy to to look at something new. Well, you know, there something that I think we should watch is I mean, look, once you have twenty five million followers on any platform, you're going to be fine. But you know, there is also a, a, a downside to the availability of so many platforms and so many platforms like coming after these influencers because it it actually seems to not be paying off for them all of that much, right? You're you're one person, you only have so much time in the week that you can create new content. And now I feel like there's this expectation that if you are an MKBHD, you're expected to make your weekly YouTube video and your weekly IGTV video, and and you've got to go scream, stream on Twitch for a little bit and. Uh, it, Something about it feels messed up to me. Like you know, like Ninja is is, is the probably the most famous streamer in the world right now, and he's broadcasting himself twelve hours a day. Like these are not good jobs. We talk about these like these are really great jobs. Like if I only have enough Instagram uh, followers, like life would be great. And yet I see stuff like this where it's like, okay, great. Now you have to go master a new platform, and we're not going to pay you for an indefinite period of time. Like some of this stuff is kind of messed up. Yeah, the, I mean. Uh, the nice thing about Twitch, though, is they have really figured out monetization. Like you can, if you get like a thousand people watching you on a regular basis, you can make that your full time job. That's fair. fair. Hang on, I actually even start my Twitch channel. Yeah, uh, okay, I want to end. Well, first, you need to know what a video game is, Eli. <laughs> Which I do. manifestly do not. Wow. <laughs> no lies there. All right, I want to end on this. Our friend David I'm Pierce sorry, that was me. tweeted this yesterday. No, it's just true. Okay, I'm sorry. Truth is an absolute I'm defense so, to libel, Paul. Um, <laughs> our friend David Pierce tweeted this yesterday, and I could make arguments for this with absolute certainty and arguments against this with absolute certainty. So I want to hear what everybody thinks. Here's what David said. Snapchat wants to be the future of communication, which is a cool idea and a near impossible business. Instagram wants to be the future of TV, which I think this is $6 signs. Casey, do you think that's the right read? Does Instagram want to be the future of TV? Uh, yes, with an asterisk. Facebook wants to be the future of TV, and almost all of their moves that they've made uh, around video over the past year have been about going after TV advertising budgets. They see that as this giant pool of money that is going to go away because the younger generation is not watching TV anymore, and all the eyeballs are on Facebook-owned properties, so they might as well go get those ad dollars. So, to, to the extent that like TV ad dollars are the future of TV, then then yes, like that's that's what Facebook and Instagram want. To do, uh, does Snapchat want to be the future of communication? Sort of, but you know it's interesting. They don't really talk about their vision in such grandiose terms, right? They talk about wanting to bring you and your friends closer together, but they don't talk about connecting every person in the world. They don't talk about you know being like the number one global destination for all communication. Um, I see it as more of like a boutique art project studio <laughs> that comes out with a bunch of like weird widgets, and some of them are amazing and show these really cool insights into human behavior, and others of them just kind of like disappear. So to me, that's more of like a Willy Wonka. Is like chocolate factory than you know some grand uh, statement about the future of human interaction. Ashley, what do you think? I mean, I totally agree with Casey because Instagram is also spinning off its own DM yeah. app. Like they want to be everything. It's face- Facebook just wants everything anywhere they can stick an ad, whether that's a chat with your friends, an hour long kid in his bedroom talking, whatever. Yeah. They're going to do it. You really like, hate this kid in his bedroom. I just have this like idea <laughs> of a you kid are a who teenager thinks he's funny to this, in his bedroom being like, here's some jokes. And I would like you like, to send no. Ashley a one hour long monologue. <laughs> I'm not here for any stand up. <laughs> wow. 
Uh, well, so this leads me actually at the end of the show. I want to ask Casey and Ashley about the amazing consolidation of the dating app market because I think that will be very entertaining. But talking about the, these companies of the future TV leads me into a little bit of policy news. Like I said, IGTV leads me kind of into everything because last week AT and T Time Warner closed. This week, AT and T put out AT and T Watch, which is their streaming TV service. If you are an AT and T customer. These plans are horribly named, and you sign up for the unlimited space ampersand more plan. <laughs> One of the richest companies in the world doesn't know about spelling. Uh, $70 a month for a single line. You have 22 gigs of, of limited data, right? You've got that bucket, and then they throttle you after 22 gigs. But you get this app for free with CNN, HGTV, whatever tiny little selection of Time Warner channels in it. Those are outside of your data cap. AT&T's plan is to turn everyone's phone into a little TV, right? It's like very clearly they're putting a TV yeah. app on your phone. That TV service is outside of your data cap. They're going to do incredibly targeted ads. That's they, They're about to buy a big app, uh, ad tech company called AppNexus, and they want you to watch TV on your AT&T phone all day, and then they're going to figure out where you are, and they're going to be like, you're by a subway. Uh, try this subway because – like, here's a subway ad inside of your CNN feed. This is explicitly their goal. And I look at Instagram and I look at YouTube, and they also want to turn your phone into little TVs, but you got to pay the data charges because they haven't signed the deal with AT&T. Like, how are these companies going to contend with that as all of these carriers start to zero rate more and more services? Because that attention is finite, and I really think people are going to pick free HBO over IGTV. Or are they going to keep picking their creators? Like I just, I, I honestly don't know how any of these companies are going to contend with that. Is if Facebook is after TV dollars, the TV service is now there, and they've already got the existing relationships and dollars. And people are going to start like they'll watch their creators and their their fans when they're uh, on Wi-Fi, and then they'll watch HBO when they're on LT, LTE. <laughs> like that's surreal. That's super weird. Wait, Wait. that that's uh, could be a real thing that you do, right? Like, hmm. yeah. Wait, informal survey though. I'm I'm guessing most of us have subscriptions to some sort of entertainment that we could watch on our phone. Like I could watch Netflix, I yeah. could watch HBO. How much time do you spend on your phone watching like a Game of Thrones or Downton Abbey versus scrolling through Twitter and Instagram and Facebook? Uh, I, I I agree with Paul. Like the in in a way, the content that that AT&T is adding to watch is the worst, like your phone is the worst place to watch that stuff, right? And your phone is the best place to watch IGTV. And so that's the advantage that I think that, that Facebook and the platforms have, in addition to the fact that that is where the creators are who are inspiring so much passion among this younger generation, right? Like there's not a seven-year-old who's going to beg their mom to sign up for watch so they can watch CNN on their way to school. <laughs> um, but like a kid who doesn't have access to YouTube when he's eight is probably going to be miserable. I mean, that's the that's the idea, and I to me the idea that AT and T is going to preload their TV service probably an Android. Like you can't see Apple letting AT and T put their garbage TV service on the iPhone by default. Like it's, that that won't happen. But every Android, like Samsung's going to be like, yeah, another app. Huh. We, we can do that. <laughs> sure. <don't worry. laughs> you want you want Bixby to open that for you? We got it. Um, like LG is going to be like, yeah, that can be the whole home screen. Like they don't do <laughs> shit. Like, <laughs> The idea that AT&T is going to try to turn all these phones into little TVs that prioritize the AT&T service and then hyper-advertise that all of their things are free while everything else isn't free. And everything else also, by the way, this is true, limited to 480p streaming unless you pay $10 a month more. 
Yep. Uh, yeah. Which is crazy. That is all. Those are the things that we described as evils when the net neutrality stuff was happening. And now they're extremely real. And it, it just feels to me like if Facebook's goal is to capture those TV dollars, they now actually have to compete on the phone with TV companies. And that is new. Like, I don't think that's yeah. ever existed before. The, the war between TV companies, broadband companies, and cell phone companies ag up against basically Facebook and Google is very real and about to get super real. They've been complaining for a super long time uh, about, you know, all the stuff that Facebook and Google are doing. And it, like, it was this weird undercurrent that made no sense to me in the original, you know, net neutrality debate in the past few years. But now it's just crystal clear that those companies are just ready to fight. You remember back in the day when, like, uh, Google was trying to, like, make cable boxes and, like, get in on the cable box game, and they just got iced out by every yeah. single cable company because mm -hmm. they were afraid of Google. And I was like, why are you afraid of Google? They just do, like, double-click ads. Chill out. But no, no, like, this they're afraid. And, like, the, the, this fight is going to get really cutthroat. And so when we talk about, you know, net neutrality is over, like, everyone's like, it'll be fine, don't worry about it. A bunch of people are like, it'll be fine, don't worry about it. But... It's not going to be fine if there is a if there is a giant war amongst huge companies over like the next great bucket of money that's TV ad dollars like a knockdown drag out no holds barred fight for that stuff. You know that the stuff that we've taken for granted when it comes to stuff like net neutrality is gonna it's gonna just start falling down left and right. Here's here's my vision of the future. Ooh, you pay AT and T. $80 a month because you don't want to watch video 480p. <laughs> yeah. By the way, you're still only limited to 1080p. <laughs> this is true. Uh, you oh, you oh, pick if, HBO as your included service. You don't watch HBO on your phone except in, on, in air, airports. Yeah. You watch HBO on your TV. You watch all your TV and movies w by paying money and... Um, and, and watching it ad free. Okay. So TV ads and movie well movies don't typically have ads. They have product placement. Product placement. Yeah. Hey, see. Hmm. I'm always thinking about the dollars, Paul. All the ad dollars. <laughs> Tony Stark uses a Huawei phone. Now I'm going to use a Huawei phone. Ashley's arch nemesis, the bedroom monologue. <laughs> he spends 35 minutes explaining how he was bullied at school or something, and then he's like, he's like. But, you know, great news. I just got a car, and I needed auto insurance. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is a nightmare. Yeah. And I chose Geico. This and is, Geico was great. This is a Cory Doctorow novel. I'm just letting you no, know. No, but th th there's so, so much ad money. I don't know if it's moving or if it's expanding, but there is a ton of ad money going to the quote-unquote influencers, especially on Instagram, for product placement. So a thing, uh, I don't, we, we don't need to get in the weeds of this, and we should move on, but there's actually a, a series of articles in like the trade publications, like Digiday and Adweek, and they're like, maybe these influencers aren't influencing anything. And like, there's, like <laughs> oh, no. that industry is starting to like wonder if they're actually getting any return on this, or uh -huh. if they just like were in a hype wave. And it, so it's all going to shake out. Okay. I, want, I really do want Casey and Ashley to tell me why one company oh, owns shit. everything getting it. Disclosure, Instagram is owned by Facebook, which also owns Oculus, which my wife works for. The end. And yeah, I bet Comcast I was involved in something. <laughs> it's true. Well, Comcast is an investor in Vox Media, which, uh, that's great. 
I will say yeah. the CEO of Comcast personally hates me, so don't worry about bias. <laughs> um, <laughs> true fact. Okay, real quick. I mean, you talk about dating apps, and why you push that button all the time? Mm-hmm. It seems like one company now owns every major yeah, dating so app. Yeah, so Match Group, yes. Well, so this will be two days now. Match Group now owns Hinge, mm-hmm. which I was personally very sad about because I use Hinge. They bought Hinge, and now they basically own every dating app. They own OkCupid, Tinder. They own a bunch of. They own over forty-five dating apps. I didn't even know there were this many in the world, but yeah. there are. There are international brands. Match.com, obviously. Plenty of fish. I don't know, like a bunch of apps, and they literally just own every dating app, and it freaks me out. Are there any holdouts? There's Bumble, and Bum- they just sued Bumble. Match Group just sued Bumble because, as some people might know, the I believe it was the co-founder of Tinder went to Bumble because she had like a whole yeah issue there, and now they're suing Bumble for copyright stuff. I think yeah. Like the swipe interface or something? I think it's the swipe, yeah. So I said, wait, Casey, do you have deep thoughts on this? Oh, uh, I mean, I do. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. And in its own way, it reminds me exactly of what Facebook does, which is they're just sort of hyper alert to any app that comes along that gets a significant number of users that has to do with communication, uh, particularly apps uh, oriented around communication that younger people use. And once they hit a threshold, Facebook swoops in and buys them. And then they don't have to worry about anyone ever competing with them. And Match, Match Group has done the exact same thing with dating apps. But so I told you, is now Facebook is going to compete with Match. Uh, uh, yes, it's right, the best SmackDown that's going to happen. Uh, so I said I could get from IGTV to every single story, and I, I can. Fa- this is Facebook bought Instagram, <laughs> and not being prevented by buying Instagram or WhatsApp is now, in retrospect, being seen as an antitrust failure because it clearly reduced competition in this market. Do you think anyone at the FTC or DOJ? is even flagging the fact that Match Group <laughs> is literally just reducing competition in this market. Because right, AT&T and Time Warner went, went through because it was a vertical merger. Number of competitors in each market stayed the same. Mm-hmm. Literally, they're just reducing the number of competitors <laughs> in these markets. There's a 0% chance anyone in the government is thinking about this. But there, anyone in the government is on Hinge. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I told you I could get there. I think it's super funny. Like we are talking about these like behemoths combining, and you, Facebook and Instagram to me is the example of maybe that should have been scrutinized more closely. But at the time, Instagram was just like some silly photo app, and nobody cared. And now it's like effectively the future of Facebook. And if they were, if Facebook was made to compete with them more directly, it might be a very different situation. But all these little dating apps, it's to me the the comparison. Casey looks like I'm crazy. No, I think you're totally right. And I think oh. you know, in a world where Facebook uh, owns most of the social networks, it's also fair to say that innovation has really slowed. Right? Like the only major innovations that come out of social networks in the past three years, I would argue, have come out of Snapchat, right? Or or, or sort of derivatives of things that Snapchat did, which speaks to the reason why you want there to be competition. Dating apps are actually super innovative, right? The only way that you can grow to a big number of users and a new dating app is to have some new insight into human behavior. Tinder is a great example where there was something really just kind of pleasing about through swiping through a deck of cards and they were able to build a a great business out of that. So yeah, I am concerned that Match Group is just kind of uh, swooping in and and, uh, consolidating the space because traditionally dating apps have given us a lot of really interesting new ways to meet people. 
And they're totally stealing all of the in- innovative features, like from Bumble, where women could message first. That was their big thing. Now Tinder is going to let people do that. Tinder also is launching Tinder Places, which gives you a map of places you've been and you can view people who've also been there who use Tinder. And that's exactly like this app Happen that did that first. And now Happen actually today had news saying they're going to have a map as well. And I just felt sad. I was like, Happen, you're not getting acquired. <laughs> Tinder already ripped you off. But yeah, like they're they're also just shamelessly taking features too. But yeah, so now Facebook is launching a dating app and it's going to go head to head with Match Group and it's like to me the battle of the monopolies. Would you, you guys want to just hear some I have some gossip about the Facebook dating app. Ooh, yeah. Yes. And when I say gossip, I mean this is information I have not verified with a second person, but a uh, former Facebook employee was saying to me like you know, th- so this so Facebook dating was announced at F eight. There is a history of things being announced at F eight that never ship, such as anonymous login. And uh, this person was saying that it was very notable that it that Facebook never said who is working on Facebook dating. <laughs> they never said what part of the company this is even supposed to be coming out of. And also, there was no time frame for launch. It was just something that they're going to explore. So this person sort of uh, you know tried to make a bet with. Me. I didn't. I do not bet uh, sources when they come to me with information. But this person <laughs> tried to. Bet me that Facebook dating will never launch. So oh, that was interesting. do you, do you think it. it was like a like just like a marketing thing? Like someone made like made it up as basically an ad, and if like well, if people are into this, then we'll actually find someone to build it. You know, it could have been a trial balloon. I, I mean, I believe they've had a lot of meetings about it, and I believe they've mocked it up, and I'm sure it's been proposed internally there forever. Uh, and I think it made for a really kind of cute, fun thing to talk about during an event that Facebook spent most of apologizing. Right. So, you know, it, it definitely kind of helped to lighten the mood. Um, so, you know, I, I do think there's there's kind of something in the works there, but, you know, whether it ever launches is still an open question. I will say I think it's going to launch. You're in it. I think it's you should bet Casey's source. Okay, what about what about dating TV? You All right, open the app and there's a guy telling in his room telling you how great he is. <laughs> Literally, that was how dating apps used to work. You'd like record a VHS tape and send it in, yeah. and then you'd like go in a room. Yeah, exactly. This is, the future. This is it. Could be. It yeah. really could be Tinder TV. Oh <laughs> my! Oh. All right, here's what's gonna happen. We've been talking a lot about merger mania. There is a woman who works at this company named Kara Swisher, who is one of the best big company reporters, best tech reporters, best media reporters to ever do it. And this is a a fact. Mm -hmm. When AOL bought Time Warner, she wrote a book about it called There Must Be a Pony in Here Somewhere. She knows all the characters. I talked to her for about half an hour to compare AOL, Time Warner, to AT&T, Time Warner. So listen to, just listen to Kara in general, in life. Uh, But we're going to play that real quick. Well, I'm going to read an ad. We're going to play that. Listen to Kara. Come back. And Paul's going to do a thing. Mm. All right, let me read this out. This episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by ExpressVPN. With all the news lately about data hacks and breaches, it's hard not to worry about digital privacy. No matter what you do online, your mobile carrier and internet service provider are tracking it all. Comcast, Verizon, Time Warner, the list goes on. Companies like these have a record of every single thing you do, every website you visit, every email you send. This (laughs) ad is incredible. (laughs) That's why you should take back your privacy by using ExpressVPN. Don't use the internet without it. With ExpressVPN, internet data is encrypted and your IP address is hidden. ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and dozens of reviewers. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. Turn on ExpressVPN with just one click. 
No matter what you do online, whether you have something to hide or think that you don't, ExpressVPN is for you. This is by far the best ad we have ever read on the show. If you're on unsecure Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies away from your data, ExpressVPN is for you. And if you don't want providers like Verizon recording your entire online history and then selling it to the world, ExpressVPN is for you. So take back your internet privacy today. Find out you can get three months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash verge. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash verge. Get three months free with a one-year deal. Every day you use the internet without ExpressVPN, Paul, you are putting your information at risk. Do not put this off. Protect your life with ExpressVPN today. That is expressvpn.com slash verge. Kara Swisher is here. Hey, Kara, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on your baby, by the way. Oh, thank you. She's uh, she's very cute. She's a lot better than work, but I I yeah. well. must abide. <laughs> yeah. Are you a good dad? Have you been a good dad? It's I think very so. Important. I hope it's so. It's your most critical job. It's your most critical job. It's certainly the thing I enjoy doing the most. So I hope that makes me well. I hope that leads me to being a good one. But yeah, I think so. You're not going to enjoy every part of it, just so you know. <laughs> FYI, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm in the road ahead, and I'm to, here to tell you. Oh yeah. Mm. Well, this is this yeah. is great. This is why you're here. Because yeah, right now Max thinks every idea I have is great. So yeah, she hasn't yeah, begun yeah. yet to disagree with me whatsoever. Except not going to yeah, But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. so k- speaking of the road ahead, Kara, you are what I would describe as a legendary technology and media journalist. Wow, thanks. Um, and Don't you have Walt around to praise now? You got to praise me. All right, okay. Yeah, yes, I'm, I'm just going down the Recode staff. We're going to. All right, I guess so. <laughs> uh, no, but it, it, it's true. And you're obviously doing a bunch of great stuff on the media as it exists now and you've got your MSNBC show and obviously Code Conference mm-hmm. but you've been at it for a long time and we are covering in great detail the AT&T Time Warner merger yeah um, it's always some giant company merging with another one and it it's it struck me that in particular it is Time Warner that seems mm-hmm. to just get batted around uh, these access companies. So AOL was an yeah. internet access company they sold dial up internet uh, Steve Case was a CEO he bought it, uh, Time Warner, he had grand pronouncements about the future of the world, uh, disaster. It, it, the deal literally fell apart. I was I worked for AOL when they unmerged mm-hmm. Time Warner, uh, which was a strange moment in sort of our uh, my corporate life. Well, the Time Warner people liked it. The Time Warner people were very happy. Um, I've been, we have a colleague who worked with us at Engadget, Thomas Ricker, and he was very unhappy when that deal happened because he had to start telling everyone he worked for AOL. He'd previously just said oh, Time Warner. Oh, dear. Um, anyhow, um, and now it's AT&T, which is a wireless internet access company, a little bit more stable than AOL, but they're buying Time Warner again. And you wrote a book about the AOL Time Warner merger. It has an amazing title. There must be a pony in here somewhere. You can go read the book. Uh, it's on Amazon. You can buy a Kindle edition. Everyone should go do it if you're interested in that sort of thing. And your book was all about why they did it, why it was a disaster, how it fell apart, and what you could learn from it. And you have this line right at the top of the book, just before you get into it. And I just want to quote from it. Sure. I, this is Kara in her book, There Must Be a Pony Here Somewhere. I am still a believer that someday the distinction of the old and new media will no longer exist, that this is the end of the beginning of the digital revolution. It is from the ashes of this bust that the next really important companies of the next era will emerge. So that's I'm like, a genius. You're great. Um, I really am. I'm like a prophet of some sort. I can't decide. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, you know, let me just say, directionally, the AOL Time Warner merger was correct. 
<laughs> like I will never – I'm very interested in directionally stuff. Like mm-hmm. I think, for example, that Google Glass is directionally correct. I think yeah. that, you know, the way back when, when there were all kinds of devices that looked like iPhones, they were directionally correct. Um, and so I think the idea of marrying um, – distribution and content was the right one. And it was unfortunate there was so much uh, pushback, especially from Time Warner people on that. Um, Because if they had done it right, it could have been incredibly powerful combining their cable assets with the online. Like we are there today where they were then. It just was the timing was off. So is that really what fell apart? Because that is the dream, right? You know, uh, Mm -hmm. Randall Stevenson, the CEO of of AT&T, was on stage at, uh, at Code and he mm-hmm. said he wants to build this advertising business to rival Google and Facebook. He wants a direct-to-consumer business for Net- for HBO to rival Netflix. Is it the same – is this just the same idea that AOL had, but now it's the right time? It was a similar idea. The, this, the, the idea at the time – you know, it was funny. Years later when they – they put AOL over com- over cable, over the Time Warner cable system. I think I, I texted Bob Pittman. I said, oh, now they, they're doing what you said, like, seven years later. Um, <laughs> you know, I- you were right. And he's like, yeah, thanks. Like, I think they really did have the right concept, which was that digital distribution uh, and the ability to distribute things in homes in that time via cable especially was a critical differentiator for that company to get the content into people's hands. I think the problem was they, the devices didn't exist. There wasn't a Mobile. I mean, mobile changed everything, right, to mm-hmm. be able to do that. And people just weren't – it still wasn't a commercial thing, even though AOL was the most commercial, uh, consumer-focused company at the time. And so I think they had – like I said, it was, the right, it was the right concept, but there was an enormous pushback, especially from the cable groups of people who were so old school. You couldn't even – you know, I, I, it was hard to even speak to them because they were so in an old way of thinking of things. You know, there was a lot of pushback from the movie studios – over all, all, even um, online advertising, they thought it was stupid at the time. Now, you know, they wanted to be in newspapers. They wanted to advertise in newspapers or get reviews. And now, everything that they, I remember them talking about at AOL was is stuff they're doing today without even thinking, um, such as clips and online ads and debuting trailers online. That was that was in the thinking back then. Um, it just was it was too early, I guess. Was it really just culture clash? You have this. Um I, yeah. I pulled another amazing line from the beginning of this book. This is Kara again in, in the book. It was like watching someone fall down a flight of stairs in slow motion, and every bump and thump made me wince. So yes, these, it was, so these, many internet companies later would have that description by yeah. me. Um, I was thinking of Uber and Yahoo and others. Um, yeah, I think it was a huge culture crash. Look, they came, they came in and they essentially bought the company, even though they talked about it as a merger. They bought it. They took over the culture. They took over the le- so AOL bought Time Warner. Yeah, they took over the leadership. They were in place. And look, these guys were arrogant. Like, and they were all guys, by the way, uh, mostly um, and or almost largely. And they were super arrogant. Some of them had had some sketchy backgrounds or couple deal-making people that were sketchy, like no question. There were some ways they made money that was sketchy, a lot of Ponzi scheme, round tripping that was disturbing, um, that they, you know, they'd played fast and loose with how they created themselves. And there was also the the, the dot-com bubble, the price of AOL at the time was so inflated. And now today, when you look at Facebook and others, it doesn't seem that way, right? It was, it was a little bit ahead of its time in terms of being high priced. Um, but it was, I think it really sent the people at Time Warner uh, around the bend thinking they've worked all this time, you know, doing, you know, 
the basic work of media. And then these guys come in with this fake stock and run things and tell us what to do. And so it was, you know, both were wrong uh, how they approached it in that AOL people were wrong to be this arrogant and so luxury, even though they were pretty much correct about what they were saying. And then the Time Warner people you know, being so stubborn and unwilling to understand that things were changing so drastically, not just in television, but the magazine business of which they had an enormous business that it was dying even before they realized it. Um, the movie business had changed. The, every every part of their business, the cable business, had changed. Well, you know, it's interesting because I look at it as what, it, you know, at the time the connections were slower, the that you know, mm-hmm. we were using desktop computers, CRTs. There was no video right. streaming to speak of. And no. Time Warner at that time still owned Time Inc. Time Inc. has since yeah. been spun off. A and critical it, part of the company then. Critical in it, terms it, of revenue and everything else. And it seemed like what they wanted to do was AOL was going to distribute Time Inc. news and magazines yep. on the AOL service. And they, you that know, one, one day the they thoughts, would get yeah. to the video side. And now we're just, you know, 20 years hence or whatever. And th- now the plan seems to be, well, Time Inc. is gone. It's, you know, it's its own company. But AT&T is going to distribute Time Warner's video assets over its devices and services. Right. It, right. It's, it's like it's literally the same idea. It's a, it, Same as it ever was. It's, yeah. it's wild to me. The difference, as you talk about the culture, is AT&T is not a fast and loose company, right? It's among no. the most conservative companies uh, in America. It is, from all accounts, extremely well run. You know, they've been going at it for a long time. They've got, mm-hmm. uh, you know, good leadership. They People seem to like their executives. And... The, it seems like the culture clash will come the other way, right? Instead of a bunch of you know arrogant sort of internet cowboys telling the stodgy media company what to do, it's a stodgy telecom company telling a bunch of Hollywood types what to do. Do you think that's going to mm-hmm. go any better or worse? I, you know, I think they probably do understand how to stay away from things. I mean, you might look. I mean, I know Comcast has an investment in Vox Media and stuff, but they've been relatively hands-off of a lot of their investments in an NBC and everything mm-hmm. else. You don't see them wandering over telling, you know, uh, telling the people of NBC what to do or that I can discernibly see. Um, and in fact, I've been pretty supportive of some, you know, especially as the Trump administration has attacked um, a lot of people on their on their networks. You know, I, I you know, they just the first thing that, that Randall Stevens had a, had a deal with, obviously, was um, Samantha B, but he didn't because he didn't own it at the time. But he's going to see stuff like that. And I think they fully expect controversies like that. There's the talent controversies. There's, you know, a different way of doing business that Hollywood still has from from a telephone company. Company. But in, this, in a lot of ways, this is critically important because they have to have some sort of defense against Internet companies right now, like in terms of who will be also sucking up this content. And so they have to have a, a growth story beyond mobile. And, and, you know, it's it's weird to say that AT&T is the one in trouble, but they kind of are given their competitors going forward. How do you mean? Well, I think that they're fighting off major uh, incursions in in consumers' time from companies like Google and uh, Facebook and Amazon and Apple, and so they have to they have to do a deal like this because I think their current business, as strong as it is, is not one that's the high growth one, and it's not the one that creates differentiation. And I think creating differentiation is is critical for any company going forward. So you're saying AT and T has a solid business that isn't going to grow very fast, which is true, right? I mean, yeah. The yeah. number of mobile mm-hmm. subscribers in the United States is not yeah. on some exponential curve. So they can, right. AT&T has this problem where they might be able to churn customers with Verizon 
all day on light, but that's that business. And to get growth, they have to start competing with the tech companies. Where Absolutely. I think that's where we're headed. We're headed into this distrib- distributor-owning content kind of world. Um, and you sort of wait for when one of the big, you know, Amazon's already moved into that space really aggressively. Now, in their case, they're doing it in order to sell toilet paper, right? That's mm-hmm. their end goal is to sell more toilet paper. And by the way, here, have a show kind of thing. You know, Facebook is here, use more of our thing, and here's more content. Like, everyone has a different take on why they're doing it. But I think you're going to see a lot, just a lot more of this this face-to-face competition between distributors of content and owners of content. And not competition between those, but them getting into those businesses. You already see it. It's already happened. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think, as you know, I cover net neutrality very closely. I think mm-hmm. about it a lot. And here, you know, Instagram yesterday announced IGTV, their new right. YouTube competitor, and just the reality is that um, HBO, if you watch an AT&T phone with an AT&T connection, will be free to watch, and IGTV will cost you some money on your data cap. Right, exactly. Do, do you think the tech industry is prepared for that reality? Well, I think I think the big companies are running the internet. I mean, we have a difference of opinion on this only because I think that the big companies have made their deals, and mm-hmm. I, I think I'm worried more about the small companies, yeah. you know, who are who are going to have to pay higher prices. I think these big companies. I think essentially Facebook, Google, Amazon own the internet. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. You know, and Netflix made their deal with Comcast, and you know the big ones make their deals, and I think the smaller ones are definitely at risk of of being sort of zeroed out in this in this uh, data. Um, the ability to move data over massive amounts of data over these lines. Yeah, I think about that. I mean, you started Recode, right? It was an independent business, and you had free access to distribution. We started mm-hmm. The Verge. We had free access to distribution. I wonder even if you could start something like that in this climate without. But we have laid do- laid low data needs. I mean, especially yeah, in a video environment, certainly. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and when you're thinking about, it, you know, I, I always we do always worry about this, and then something else gets invented. Like I don't know what it is, but it, something else happens. Um, but it certainly is a you know, it's the giants fighting right now. And you know, if you're not a giant, you're in you're you've got some issues. I think even if you're you're thought like I always think about Netflix right now. Like what going to happen to that company? Like, I think it's going to bought, right? That's just, it seems that to me. But then you're, they're like, oh, everyone's like, oh, they're too expensive. I'm like, are they? Really? Like, these companies are, have pretty big market caps, and wouldn't you want to own Netflix, or would it be worth that much money? I mean, I don't buy these things, so I'm not the one making these decisions, but you have to think long and hard about all these assets. If something, like, you just think about, when I was writing this book, the idea that Time Warner could be bought like it was not, no big deal, like, that merger was a big deal at the time. Yeah. Um, or that Rupert Murdoch would be selling off his assets. Like, he's getting out of the media business fast because he knows that he can't compete without the assets that the others have. Um, and so, you know, we'll see. Right. And so what Kara's referencing, I'm sure uh, Vergecast listeners know, is this week, basically, um, yeah. the Fox took a new offer from Disney for, I think, $71 billion to counteract Comcast's $65 billion cash mm-hmm. offer. And Rupert Murdoch right. has to decide. Seems yeah. like he wants to sell it to Disney, but Comcast, I'm sure, will he come does. back. Yeah, because he's comfortable with Disney, right? But, you know, Comcast has got a lot of money. Like, it's a lot of that's, you can't, like, ultimately, he, you know, he wants that money so he can shove it down Fox News's throat, I guess. I don't know what he's doing with his money, but um, thank goodness he has money to do that. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Rupert Murdoch getting richer is one of my least favorite <laughs> memes going on right now. So, so it just you know he, the fact that he's selling is really interesting to me. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Is that 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 he's too small? Like Rupert Murdoch is too small. He's got to move to a bigger thing. And in a lot of ways, when I'm thinking about Disney buying News Corp, for example, I'm like. Oh, they may not be big enough to take on, like right? Mm-hmm. Disney is not big enough to take on, and so that's why AT and T. Getting back to the AT and T thing is is th- the concept behind the original merger of AOL and Time Warner was this idea to create this this entertainment and communications and distribution behemoth. That was the idea behind it, and it was a great idea, and it was the right idea, and here we are today. Yeah, um, a very smart— Maybe not great for consumers. I'm sorry, not great for consumers, necessarily. <laughs> well, um, I don't think it's great for consumers, but uh, you know, a very smart media CEO who we both work for uh, told me that uh, he thinks the AT&T deal is, is way smarter than the, the AOL deal ever was. Um, no, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, but it's time has come. It looks smart today, right? Yeah. I just, I just, it's so easy to put off that, like, burst is the own history. I'm like, really? Because it's the concepts behind it are exactly the same. Like, they're very similar. It's just they were difficult people hitting up against each other and fighting over, you know, status. And and at that time, media was so much more arrogant that they could behave like that. Now they're sort of not, which I think is different. Is there a model for a behemoth of this size being successful? This is something I've been thinking about as well, is companies of this size, you know, they're not nimble. They're not fast. No. They tend to trip over themselves all the time and then sort of devolve into constituent parks. And even Time Warner, right? It was a behemoth. And, you know, their CEO just started selling off pieces of it everywhere he could because he needed to break it up to create value. Is there a model for a behemoth of this size being successful over time? Well, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I think right now, it, right, there's a big, there's a sort of a discussion happening in Silicon Valley that all all that matters are these big companies now. Like um, different people call them Fang, different different mm-hmm. names. I think Farhad calls them the frightful whatever five. Um, but there are, I think most what's happening here now is the big companies are running everything. You don't see as many. Like I was trying to think of hot startups like in the Snapchat, Airbnb school. Uber, there aren't any, are there? Like, they're, what's the next class? They don't exist because uh, these big bird. companies. Only the <laughs> okay. CEO right. cashed out. You so. insist. I'm trying. You insist. I'm just throwing some stuff bird. at you. You're going to bird. You're already <laughs> down in bird land. Like, come on. Like, think about it. There isn't. There isn't. Like, we had, like, at one time it was Airbnb, Snapchat, Uber, um, Pinterest. There's a bunch. And then now you can't come up with, I can't put five on my hands right now of that. Of, of that excitement. You had Box, then you had uh, Dropbox. You know, there was like a dozen, at least. Yeah. The unicorns, right? And now they don't exist because the big companies are sort of either sucking up everything or doing it pretty well themselves. Now, whether they can stay nimble, I don't know. But certainly you don't see a lot of innovation coming from the small companies anymore. Do you think there's can... going to be like a government or regulatory pushback on that? I mean, there's a lot of interest in sort of rethinking how antitrust works. Are you... Yeah. Are you, I, don't, I think I have to rethink antitrust completely. Like, that's the problem. I mean, some of these companies are like nation states at this point, I think. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg um, literally it, refers to Facebook as a country. It, it's, yes, it's it is. A, it's it an is. insane right. conception. Well, he ain't lying. He ain't lying. Well, then and he should so, act more like a dictator. <laughs> he should do well, more that's stuff. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, whatever. He's very earnest about his power. Oh, am I really powerful? Oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, you're a little (laughs) powerful. But I mean, I think, you know, I don't think there'll be any regular, to speak of, maybe, if they do something awful. I just, like, you you watch those hearings. Come on. 
Like, come on. It's like, true. really? Well, like, you know, everyone was talking about how well he did. I, they did terribly. He did not do well. They did terribly. That's all I can imagine has happened there. And there won't be any regulation. You know that. Yeah. Well, not especially not right now. But I, the, reason I, the reason I ask sure. is if your frame is all the companies need to get bigger, including companies we think of as giants, like News mm-hmm. Corp or uh, 21st Century Fox, they need to get bigger. So they're merging and we're getting, you know, we're just going to end up with like two or three behemoths. You know, things go in cycles. And I, I'm curious, what makes them successful? Like, what what do you think is a good outcome? And what is the outcome that you think is the disaster? Well, you know, I think the the, the outcome is that nothing gets innovated. There's nothing fra- – like, you know, w- there's an AT&T. In the old days, AT&T sort of sat on top of everything. And once it was broken up, you saw all the innovation. But you, you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know if they weren't there what would be happening in the ecosystem. And so I don't see anything stopping these companies. And I'm not just talking about AT&T, Time Warner or – Disney, Fox, or Comcast, whatever, or Amazon, or uh, Google, I I don't see them being broken up. Like, that's, you know, to create that kind of openness. And what's really interesting is usually there was usually one company that really did that, like AT&T or Microsoft back in, even going back further, if you remember, you probably Mm -hmm. don't, Eli, but it really did sit on top of everything and, and hindered innovation, I think. You could easily look at that. And the minute they were sort of gelded by the government in terms of uh, the, mon- the antitrust thing, there were all kinds of companies, right? It yeah. just, everything blossomed. And so you don't, now there's five of them. Like there's not, you can't, can you say Facebook is a competitor to Google? Really? Like sort of. Is Amazon a competitor to Facebook? Not really. Like they're all on their own giant lanes with their semis and they're just barreling down the highway. That's how I look at it. And they're, you, you can't, point to any of them and yet all of them together creates this like it's like the game of thrones it's all the very different countries you know that beginning map part yeah. like that's what i see like i don't know i don't know who is the the center um but it's certain there's certainly a lot of very powerful companies and not one of them could easily be hindered by regulation yet or we'll see because they're not directly competitive with each other even right, by each not. other they're and not, I, that to me head. is like the particularly strange bit where you know, Apple looks at Netflix and they're like, we're going to sign a deal with Oprah. But you can't right. see how that will ever be anything other than a reason for you to, like, maybe buy another iPhone. Whereas right. Netflix is just going to keep running its business at Netflix's scale. And Amazon's right. going to, you know, keep selling you toilet paper. And the idea right. that they're not in this head-up competition also seems like it's we're leaving a lot of potential startup investment or innovation on the table. Because right. No I mean, it's good anything. for content makers, right? It's yeah. going to be good because there's so many places to sell now. Like, everyone's in the content business. And so you're going to see competition on that scale. It's like who gets the sports rights, who gets the, you know, new live stuff is really going to be interesting. Like, who really runs that? Because that's still incredibly powerful and you can't replicate it in these and these, you know, live is live. Um, but when you think about, uh, you know, movie making and things like that, that, there'll be competition of who's up and who's down and who makes the good product and who doesn't. Like that's that goes up and down just the way TV networks went up and down. Um, and that w- they'll, they'll be competing there. But that's just going to be a question of money and, and assembling talent, right, and seeing what the talent can create at each of those places. And you, you'll see that talent move back and forth and among and between them. But you don't you don't see them competing with each other really on their on their core businesses that are making all the money to pay for that content. 
All right, so we've talked about Time Warner a lot in mm-hmm. at and its competition, and you brought up content. And it's funny to me, because I really did used to work for AOL. Um, mm-hmm. AOL is now part of Verizon. I'm the uh, only person who hasn't worked for AOL. But I on. always joke that Vox Media is founded on revenge. Um, <laughs> it's like the whole company had some bad yeah. experience at AOL, and they're, they're out to prove that we can get it right. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of revenge going on. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I don't want to get into it. No. Um, anyhow, but AOL is part of Verizon, so it's another carrier that bought a content company. Tim Armstrong, CEO of AOL, went out and bought Yahoo. He bought a huge mm-hmm. number of digital advertising companies, and he's going to mm-hmm. glue ads all over everything. Yeah. But they're not in this. I mean, they have Go90, and like you know, they're not getting. Oh, whatever. Thanks for the money, Tim. O- Oprah's right. not going on Go90, right? It's not going to happen. No, she ain't. No, so she ain't. How do you see the the future of AOL? Like, do they just sort of get subsumed into the the muck? I, you know what? I don't care. Like, I wish I did. Like, this is someone who wrote a lot about Yahoo, right? Yeah, I don't, that's why I'm asking like, you. Like, the other day, I was literally in New York. I'm like, should I call Tim and have uh, not today. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I love Tim. I mean, he's, he's uh, Tim Armstrong. He's very funny and entertaining. But I just don't even, like, Verizon's got to jump on in here, like, with the money. they got to yeah. start buying up stuff, like, toot to sweet, you know. That's probably good news for Vox Media or something. Or, oh, or no, Matt, or, or, or BuzzFeed. <laughs> yes, your nightmare. Or, just, or BuzzFeed or, yeah. or, or, well, who's going to buy Vice? I mean, yeah. really, uh, or at this point. Um, someone eventually. But uh, but I like Nancy Dubuque, who's running it now. But it's uh, it, you know you have to wonder what they what Verizon's got to do now. They've got to sort that's just Yahoo and AOL is not going to cut it right. Like at this point, they got to like you know they were again directionally correct right. Mm-hmm. They were first out the gate with this stuff. But I mean they bought the Huffington you know, Post too. I mean their idea yeah was the original no, AOL idea. We're going to buy a bunch of basically directionally correct print assets Smart. at scale. Uh, the Huff, right. Huffington Post and AOL's stable of websites and all of Yahoo's web pages, and we're going to. Glue ads on them, and that's the future. Yeah, and it. But then, what? AT and T is looking at AppNexus. Like all of these are going to get sucked up. You know, yeah. that company was supposed to go public or bought by ninety different people, and now it's back in the play. So, you know, they're going to assemble all the parts that are necessary: the advertising, the technology, advertising technology parts, the content parts, and then see if they can get people to buy it. Now, ultimately, which, which is a good thing for people like you and I, what matters in the content space is great storytelling, great content, great, great creation content. And you can't digitize that so easily, even if you can distribute it. And if it's good, people do find it. Like, mm-hmm. they really do. It's, like, very easy to find great content. They think about the, all the great television out there now. And so anyone who's just a creative person who creates great content is in a really good situation, which is nice. I just the question is, you know, can they marry the advertising technology and the marketing and stuff like that to create, you know, bigger things? And that's I think that's the big question. I mean, it seems like the you were saying directionally correct. They had the right ideas, wrong time, certainly the wrong cast of personalities. Well, if it's the right time and, you know, the, the technology's here and mobile's here, is this the right – you know these people better than anybody I know. Is this the right set of personalities mm-hmm. to pull this stuff off? What, the AT&T stuff? Yeah. I thought R- Randall was smart. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that you're going to see a lot of clashing. Like there's there's Randall and John Stanky, right, at mm-hmm. AT&T. John um, Stanky is the – uh, if you don't know, he's the CEO of what is now called Warner Media, which is being yeah. 
which is Time Warner instead of AT&T. You know, I've just met him casually, but he seems pretty, pretty conservative. You know, conservative is a per- just like a business guy, like business guy. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't. I'd love to see dinner with him and 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 Richard Plepler. That that I would enjoy more than anything. And Richard Plepler is the CEO like, of HBO. I'm just helping yeah, the Vergecast yeah, audience. Out yes, thank things, you. Yeah. Sorry. So you know, he, Richard's fantastic. If you've ever had dinner with him, like literally, just waiting in line with him is fun. Um, so you, that's going to be an interesting thing. The, the 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 people like that who have had this track incredible. Richard has had this. this Astonishing track record at HBO, great shows, and um, it, I, I'll go back to the my book. Richard was the only person. Richard was the PR guy for HBO, by the way. Wow. He really was. That was essentially he was. The dream no, is alive was. for PR people. Uh, I know he was, <laughs> and he worked for Jeff Bukas, who ran Jeff Bukas ran HBO at the time of my book, and and Richard was his marketing and PR person. So he 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 moved himself into like he's his record's been really so impressive and I really enjoyed talking to him all the time. Um but he was the only person Jeff Bucus was a little bit upset by the deal, but Richard was the only one in that entire book and the entire time who was really objecting to what had happened and with the merger, um, largely because the stock of Time Warner suffered and a lot of people who had been there, they're, you know, he's got a real soul. So he was really upset for receptionists and various people who got screwed when that stock tanked, essentially. But he was always suspect. I, I'll never, he just was the only one who was like, this deal is not going to work and here's why. And he was super smart about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now he's the guy that's got to make it work with essentially a, another version of AOL. So I think that'll be, I mean, he's got a lot more power now and a lot more savvy, obviously. But at the time, he he literally was the, all, all of those people went along with it all the time, Warner people, except for Richard. So I think it'll be kind of an interesting moment for him. And, you know, at and putting a lot of a lot of pressure on HBO, not to change or whatever, yeah. but to be the competitor to Netflix, right? They're going to... Right, they have to. They're going to so try if, to get their money back go- out of this deal. Sure, but what if he goes to them, hey, I need double the money. Give me double... Netflix is spending money like a drunken sailor over the left here, so I need double the money. And he's already got a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. What if he does that? Are they going to give it to him? I'd give it to him. I'd give Richard Pablo any amount of money to make something cool. But are they gonna, are they going to give him a hard time? Is he going to want to sit there with, like, like a committee that tells him what he can do like that. I mean, with Jeff Bugas, he just handed him the money, right, yeah. to do it. But now he's going to need really big money. And so I, that would be interesting if Richard in a room saying to John Stanky, I need twice as much money for HBO to make money. Yeah. What kind of people are they going to be? They're going to say, yeah, yeah, sure. Game of Thrones guy. Like, sure, you can do it again. Or are they going to go like, well, if, give us an idea of what we can, you know, you, you could see that. Um, that cultural clash, very obviously, but we'll see. Maybe it'll, it'll surprise us that the mobile guys will surprise us and be super. There like, was a, a very good Wall Street Journal piece that described the forthcoming culture clash, and it just had one vignette that I thought said it all, which was uh, all but nine AT and T executives, uh, employees. Period. If it's hundred thousand employees, all but nine fly coach. Uh, whereas almost yeah. everybody at, at Time Warner yeah. has concierge right. service at the airport uh, and flies yeah. first class, and it's, oh, it's just that. Really, they fly. Co- yeah, that'll be nice. That'll be. That'll be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll see. But mm-hmm. I'm. Uh, they very... all fly coach. They do. They all fly coach. Wow. There's no private planes. They're, they're like, no. They're they're flying coach, and they're I guess they're paying for GoGo Interacts. <laughs> Uh, I okay. just had dinner with Richard Plepler, and he does not fly coach. Let me just say, I, yeah, I've been in his office. I was like, "You're exp- it furniture was a in your nice office." Nice dinner. I enjoy. I always seek him out. You know what I mean? Like he's a lot. All those those executives are fun. 
They're all great. They're, they're Hollywood people. So we'll see. Let's see how that works. All right. Well, Kara, thank you very much for joining us on the Rogecast. Tell the people you about so much. your podcast and where they can listen to you. Oh, my podcast is called Recode Decode, and we interview all kinds of cool people. I just interviewed Craig Newmark, who was the founder of Craigslist, who's just given $20 million to the SUNY uh, Graduate School of Journalism. And he we talked a lot about uh, on on the need for tech people to really focus on, on, on the importance of reporting going forward and that he, I think he called it the immune system of democracy. That's pretty good. All right. Well, Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, just the same as our show. Kara, it was lovely to have you. We'll have you back again soon. Thank you so much. This episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. If you ever shower or brush your teeth or try to make your hair look good, I've got good news for you. Dollar Shave Club has a lot of stuff to help you out. Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Dollar Shave Club, yes, that Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. You name it, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe that will leave your tush feeling tingly clean. They have an amber and lavender calming body cleanser that you've never smelled anything like it. Good luck finding a product that great at the store. And all of Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top-shelf ingredients that won't break your budget. You'll feel the difference. Plus, shipping is included with your membership. Here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just 5 bucks. you can get their daily essential starter kit. It comes with body cleanser, one wipe, Charlie's, their wipes, their world-famous shave butter, and their best razor, the six-blade executive. But will it save my life? Carry this razor at all times, Paul. <laughs> Keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need for the bathroom. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash verge. That is dollarshaveclub.com. Slash verge. Stay vigilant. Paul, before you begin your segment, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell a story about it. Okay. So many times on the Vergecast, we've introduced your segments, and I've said, advertisers, if you want to just buy the name, I'll sell it to you. Okay. Great. We had incoming, and the advertiser literally messaged our team and said, we don't know if this offer is a joke or not, but we're interested. Okay. And we had to tell them it wasn't a joke. So I'm telling you now, advertisers, if you want to buy Paul's segment, uh-huh. you, it's, I'm 100% real. Yes. You can name it anything you want. Anything? Not anything. Anything. You, you are allowed no. to sit in a 15-minute brainstorming session with me where we will determine <laughs> the name. Yeah. One contingency is that will be on a broken Zoom call. <laughs> All right. Paul, every week, but it has the same name. It's true. I'm for sale. It's called... <laughs> Shavoop, which I've decided it's spelled S-H-U-V-O-O-P, and I think that is the how the right the the sound that a phone makes when its camera oh, yeah. exits its body. Shavoop. Shavoop. Uh Oppo has <laughs> This is great. The Find X. I played we have one. I played with it. It's great. Oh really? Yeah. I haven't played with it. I've just been looking at it and laughing. And la- so so the, obviously the context is there's this Vivo Nex phone yeah. with a tiny little camera. Yeah. A little, a little, it's a little camera a bump little, comes a out. A little yeah. tab comes out. But like, that phone, you can change the sound. Oh, really? So it's in so- it's the, the sound is software defined. So when the camera comes up, it can either make a mechanical noise. It sounds like a motor whirring. It can make a sci-fi noise. And then there's one that just literally sounds like a fucking parade. Okay, okay. And that's Every- amazing. Everybody be real quiet for a second. Shavoop. <laughs> okay, now you can put <laughs> like, that as that. a, okay. Right. But, but the Find X. Oppo's like, psh, cute little tab camera. No, we'll have the whole phone come out of the phone. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> And, it's so good. And it, it also is the rear cameras. Yeah. So the, the, the front camera's popping out, but also the rear cameras are popping out. 
It's incredibly, inc- it's just a t- terrible. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. You're as so wrong as, about this. It's so non-utilitarian, but it's just, it's beautiful in a te- technological. So it's a delight. Yeah. You're crazy. Also, <laughs> it doesn't have a fingerprint sensor. It only has face unlock. So every time you pick up the phone and swipe up, it has to look at your face. It's incredible. Wait. So to unlock the phone, you have to make it shavoop and yeah. then look at it and then it, goes and down then it unlocks. It's great. Wow. Uh-huh. So every time you pick it up, it goes. Eh, eh. Uh, <laughs> so that's never going to break. But what I love about it is it, some companies are like, screw the notch. Yeah. It's great. I love it. The software on this phone is a direct ripoff of the iPhone, like the most shameless ripoff of the iPhone ever made. But it's great. I like it. Well, but gotta give them credit. The uh, the aesthetics of the phone are very uh, Samsung Galaxy esque. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a merger. But they got the best shavoop in the biz. They do. I love pop up cameras. I hope we all, like this is the stuff Samsung used to do just like regularly. They just put out whatever crazy hardware they could make. A stylus and it, a phone. Yeah, they're like whatever. <laughs> we just like here's some parts. We put them in a box. We shook the box. Mm. Now it's a phone. Yeah, Samsung's like too. They're too good for that now. There's no mm. it's crazy. Samsung is over. Yeah. You got to look to Oppo and Vivo. Yeah. What's the third one? They they all deny that they're the same company. But they one share plus. one plus. <laughs> uh, they they literally will not cop to the fact that they are one company. Like we've yeah. had reporters like try to dig up Chinese business documentation to be like, no, 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 it's the same company. And they're like, we share an ownership, but none of us ever talk. And then like a OnePlus phone comes out, and you're like, that's just that phone. <laughs> um, <laughs> whatever. Well, pop-up cameras are beautiful. I I, are you Dan? Dan had one. Yeah. As you know, and he showed it to me, and I was like, I love it. I love, love it. it. It's so Until good. it snaps off, but I love it. It's not gonna. It's gonna do that thing where you drop it once, and then it's <laughs> it's, it's gonna start making the sound, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, this is oh." Yeah. <laughs> it's also not waterproof because it opens up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just can't do it. But I love it. I I'm a unabashed fan of hardware innovation. I want to talk about two or three things before we wrap up. We're going a little over here, but there's a big case. The Supreme Court just took a case where a bunch of consumers are suing Apple over app store pricing. I think this is very confusing. There's a lot of bad headlines out there, and it's an antitrust case, so I I, I just can't help myself. Um, Here's what I'm going to ask you guys. If there's an app that's only in the iOS app store, do you feel like you as a consumer have have enough, you would switch? Because that's really what this case comes down to. Apple is arguing that they are not a monopoly for consumers for iOS apps. What they actually sell is software services and distribution services to developers and that consumers should not be allowed to sue them. What the consumer class action group is saying is because you charge developers a 30% cut of their fee, they're passing that cost on to you. And because they have no other choice, we're paying this increased cost. So this is like a very thorny... The case is not even about the App Store. The case is about who has the right to sue Apple, whether it's users or developers. Right. Right, is, and no developer wants to sue Apple because they want to, you know, have their app in the App Store. Which I don't know. Sounds like they're maybe afraid of a monopolistic power. Right. So the the Addy wrote a great explainer. You should read it on the site. But um, the thing that she and I were talking about, which is not a great parallel, um, but it, it illustrates the concept of, of cost passing, is Spotify. If you just go buy it on the web, costs ten bucks a month. If you buy it through the App Store, it costs thirteen dollars a month because they are literally passing the 30% out 
Apple fee onto you, the consumer. So the, the big question here, and I think this, if the Supreme Court takes it and Apple loses and they send it back down to the court and Apple loses again and doesn't appeal, most of the paths on this branching logic chain end in Apple winning. Mm. But if Apple loses, this is a thing that breaks the idea of the closed App Store ecosystem. So like this is the case to watch to see if consumers even have the right to sue Apple for App Store pricing because they have no other vendor for applications on their phone. But I guess like the the flip side of that is does Apple have the right to have a closed platform that it doesn't allow you to install arbitrary apps on it? Right. So that's like a is again the the first question is just should it be developers suing Apple or consumers suing Apple? The press, Apple's precedent is it should be the developers because we sell nothing to the consumer. We sell distribution services to the developer. Right. And the consumer saying, who gives a shit? You're the only people that we transact with. So that's like the foundational question. Then the question is, is the App Store tax justified or is it, does a consumer, should they have a choice because they cannot buy apps from any other vendor. Well, what remedy is this class action lawsuit seeking? Uh, money. Millions of dollars. Okay. And, right, they're, they're, they're saying you've, you've overcharged us by millions over the years for all these apps that we bought. Mm, they're right. not seeking a you have to stop it remedy. But if the court says this is unconstitutional, you have to pay this money, there you go. Not unconstitutional, illegal. I don't think the right. founding fathers really thought this one through. <laughs> George Washington was like, let me run any binary I want. Uh, he, honest, yeah. from, from a practical standpoint, I feel Lincoln like, ran Linux. I, mean, <laughs> I feel like Apple gets so much ball. goodwill from like, hey, we're the company that we make money by selling hardware. Yeah. And like, like it's so frustrating to trying to buy a like a book for Kindle or Audible, mm-hmm. like going to like Apple or you go to Amazon site. Because you have to buy it through Amazon's website because you can't even like shop from Amazon's apps for digital products on mm-hmm. the phone. And then Amazon's like, hey, sure you want to go, you want to open the Amazon app? I'm like, oh man, I can't remember. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just needlessly complex. And like, I feel like Apple could get a lot of goodwill in that sense of like opening. Yeah, even just, opening that. Yeah, they just, don't want to do it. Just, just why do they need to charge 30%? Because they don't have enough cash just sitting around. Apple doesn't care about your about goodwill. I mean, you know, g- goodwill is nice. Money's nicer. Um, you know. <laughs> also, I, I think it's incredibly important to Apple to be able to control the the experience, right? And I mean, this is like Apple's whole thing is that uh, they have software and hardware that work better together, and you start allowing uh, other stuff in, and it kind of breaks their model. So. I don't know. I have to say, I've, I've mostly just been listening because I find this discussion very interesting. My my normal bias is toward like the consumer being able to do whatever they want, um, but I don't want to be too hasty about it because bad things happen when you just let any old person start doing stuff on your hardware. Yeah. No, this is like a real thing that we talk about. I have the perfect compromise solution. You might even say oh God. that this perfect compromise solution is a sweet solution. <laughs> Dieter. Why would you say Apple that? Apple should make... Progressive web apps, first-class citizens in iOS, more than they have now. There should be, they should bless up a open store that doesn't require a cut, that can only sell web apps, uh, and then people, they should give them more capabilities while still being sandboxed. And then if you don't want to go to the app store, you can go to the web app store and install web apps on your phone from there. 
And you know what? I would put The Verge on that web store in a heartbeat. Tim Cook is honestly more likely to completely shut down the iPad division and be like, I was wrong. Everyone buy a Mac. What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, Casey, the reason he said it was a sweet solution is because when the iPhone was first launched, there were no apps. And Steve Jobs famously got on stage and said, we have a sweet solution for you. You can make websites. <laughs> Which was like one of the most like obviously cruel things he's ever seen. Counterpoint, counterpoint, how many Electron apps do you have installed on your computer right now that you use on a daily basis? None. <laughs> That's like all of them. I really like Google's um, solution. I, it's not my favorite thing in the world, but it's it, it's pretty pretty good compromise on Chrome OS. You can, one, you can go to like the unstable channel to get like new yeah. features and stuff, but also you can like switch to dev, dev mode and they terrify you. They let you know you are so unsafe now, but you can do whatever the hell you want. But yeah. you're so unsafe. Yeah. Like, are you sure? Press any key on the keyboard. Press this key for botnet. Like, yeah. any, any key on the keyboard will revert it back to like a clean, safe state. But they allow you to do it. And I mm -hmm. feel like, I mean, I, a nice result of this, I don't, I don't want to like league wield the legal system as a club, but nice result with this. If Apple just, <laughs> just came Paul, in. are you suggesting that the state uses its latent power to regulate? Okay, you open up settings, right? <laughs> Scroll all the way to the bottom. You press into something, you go like five deep into some sort of decision tree, and then there's a jailbreak button. Press jailbreak, can you imagine if, if the Supreme Court could, decision uh, is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like, mapping out an entire <laughs> UI for how you jailbreak an iPhone? <laughs> Just straight up. She's like, the court has decided. There shall be a button. Have you guys heard of George Hotz? <laughs> incredible. I hate you guys so much for making me do this. Yes. But what if you entered the Konami code and that no. is what jailbroke the phone? No. Just like you could do on WebOS. Apple is no saying. longer constitutionally whimsical enough to do shit like that. Wait, WebOS, Paul, you could Konami code it? Yeah, you typed in the Konami code and that turned on developer right, mode. We are on, on way web, over. I'm going to say, I'm going to I'm gonna offer two more pieces of Apple News, one real fast, and then two, I'm just, brings us all the way back to the top of the show. One, the air power charging mat rumored to finally start shipping in September following quote unquote technical hurdles, which is amazing. Also, it runs iOS. Yeah. It's great. Come on. They don't know. They Come don't on. have another operating system. They're like, iOS. <laughs> oh my God. We'll put it in the charging mat. It's on your watch. It's in your laptop. How about a car? I mean, you know, they're, that's what they got. That's their thing. It works. All right. And then finally, I keep saying everything, the entire world is just trying to make your phone a little TV. Mm -hmm. And to that end, Apple and Oprah are teaming up to make content, which to me is just like, I don't know what Apple is doing with original content. They keep spending money mm -hmm. to get it. They keep making deals like this. I don't think they're good at it. Well, and to, to to really bring it full circle, like where is the home for this content supposed to be? Because my understanding, the last time I quit Apple Music, the the video stuff was in Apple Music, which is not a good place to go watch video, right? Well, they have a and, TV app. It's and so, so good. So that's going to be the home. I, I thought the TV app was for controlling your actual TV. No, that's the remote app. No, the TV app is like when you have an Apple TV, all the services feed into this. Interface that shows you everything Except you're watching. Except for the ones you actually care Except about. Except for Netflix. Netflix doesn't feed into it. Um, you know, they promised, uh, they promised a data sharing deal with Netflix when they launched it. That was like two years ago. They still haven't done it. That's, um, they're going to they're gonna release that when they open source FaceTime. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, so many like, old burns from Diener today. Uh, anyway, but yeah, Casey, the idea is that you have this TV app and it will feed in everybody else's content and then. Apple's video content will be a first-class citizen in there, and huh. I don't know. You're going to watch Oprah. Everyone will watch Oprah. 
Like, people will watch yeah. Oprah. Like, Oprah is the original influencer. Ooh. She is. Ooh. Write that headline. I mean, it's true. My mom would go anywhere for Oprah. I want that headline. This, the Vergecast <laughs> is over because Ashley has a story to write. What, t- <laughs> what, time, what part of your day do you open up your phone to watch Oprah? I think the morning. In the morning? It's like you're getting ready for the The question day. is, what's the better deal? Oprah or the Obamas on Netflix? Hmm. Everything, the whole world is just trying to make you watch TV on your phone. I'm telling you. That's the future. Do we know what kind of show Oprah is making? Like, she's not doing a daily talk show, right? A representative said that together, Winfrey and Apple will create original programs that embrace her incomparable ability to connect with audiences around the world. Winfrey's project will be released as part of a lineup of original content from Apple. So if it's embracing her ability... But it sounds like a project. You know what it sounds like to me is like... It's Oprah Winfrey Network uh, Rejects is like what Apple is getting. right? Like Oprah already has a network. You really think she's giving her best stuff to Apple? Uh, it's it's going to be like contract with her own network, which by the way is called Own, which is yeah. great. The Oprah Winfrey Network, but it's uh, it's her own. Uh, twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty. Okay. Well, you mean it ends? The contract ends in twenty twenty. Well, she just extended it. Oh, she's. Uh, I can't stop thinking about th- what Ashley said because Oprah did product placement on her show constantly. Mm-hmm. She gave people just like cars. influencers do today. Mm, giveaways. giveaways. Giveaways are huge and influencers. Advice. Magazine, like she had it all. She had, she built an empire. Yeah, and now she's going to be reduced to streaming on the TV app on an iPhone near you. Okay, well, congratulations, Oprah. We're very proud of you. <laughs> Oprah's the original influencer. I mean, I need a weekend post. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. Uh, that's it for the broadcast this week, Casey. You look you look great, man. What you don't know Thank is that the lights turned off in the studio where Casey is. And I've been gesticulating wildly for the last two minutes, and the lights aren't coming back on. To trip the motion lights, it's incredible. I've just embraced sitting in darkness as a metaphor. (laughs) 2018 (laughs) continues apace. Thank you, Casey. Tell them about Converge. Listen, Converge is an interview game show that's easy to win, but not impossible to lose. I talked to some of Tech's most fascinating personalities, and a new episode comes out every Wednesday. And this coming Wednesday, I talked to Mike Maples Jr., who was one of the very first investors in Twitter and has uh, just made buckets of money because he's very good at investing. And we had a super fun conversation in which he makes me pitch him Twitter using only things that I would have known in 2005, and it all goes disastrously wrong. So, I love it. Ashley. Thank yeah. you for being here. Button season three, it's going to happen. I hope so. Uh-oh. Well, it's funny because I'm the person who makes us. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's gonna happen. We need the jet ski. Tell the people to binge watch your other two seasons. What's it about? Uh, it's about the choices we make with technology that we might not realize we're making. I'm trying to think we have a t- we have a streaming episode, yeah. very TV related, about password sharing and why people do it. I personally don't password share because I suck and I'm mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Paul, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Dieter, tell me about Processor, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Processor is a YouTube series that's about uh, empowering you to uh, better understand uh, how technology works and what it means in your life. All right. You can also listen that's, to- How's that? It was great. It was really good. Okay. You should watch Processor. You can also follow us on all the platforms. You can watch any number of Verge staffers doing copyright infringement IGTV, apparently. Kara <laughs> was on the show. You can listen to Recode Decode. You can listen to Recode Media, Peter Kafka. Everything's great. We love you all. Rock and roll. Goodbye. Paul. Promo code.
Hello, listeners of the Vergecast. This is Peter Kafka. I am the host of Recode Media. I want to tell you about a free episode of this show that you can go listen to right now. It's the interview Kara Swisher and I did with Daniel Eck, the CEO of Spotify. You know what Spotify is. We talked about why Daniel Eck built Spotify when it made no sense to build Spotify, why he took it public, how he took it public. We had a long and kind of frustrating conversation about his content policy, which ended up, I think, helping him decide that he wanted to change his content policy. It's all in there. You can listen to it right now for free at Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Enjoy. <laughs> 